Welcome to Staying in the Black, a show about teachers and money. I'm Miss Black, a New York City educator, single mom, and personal finance translator. Join me as I build my runway to retirement. Each week, we'll share actionable steps, resources, and inspiration that educators can use to maximize their benefits and improve their personal finances. Staying in the Black means having more assets than liabilities and being able to pay off your debt without any problems. Stop living paycheck to paycheck and build a joyful life. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome to another episode of Staying in the Black. I'm Miss Black, your host. And today we're going to talk about shopping for a mortgage. So the reason that we're talking about this today is because I recently was going to purchase a property and I had to start the pre-approval process um, and realized that some things changed when shopping for a mortgage. So a friend of mine happens to be a real estate agent and she knows that I want to own a house near a body of water, whether it be a lake. Um, I think a lake would be ideal or the ocean or whatever, but a house came up that was on a lake and she knew that I was interested. And so she said, hey, why don't you get pre-approved so that I can show you this house? I think it would be perfect for you. So I started shopping for a pre-approval, but in getting starting the process for a pre-approval, it really made me think about the process of shopping for a mortgage. And I haven't shopped for a mortgage in about 20 years. And so in speaking to the mortgage broker, and I went to a mortgage broker to get my pre-approval, she suggested that I get an underwritten pre-approval, which I had never heard heard of. And so I said, if this is something new to me, it may be new to my listeners. And so let me share the process. And when preparing, because I never tell you guys things just based on my experience, I always do some research to make sure that I am giving you um, factual information because I don't want to just be someone who's just talking for the sake of talking and providing you with information that may not be factual. So I started researching the mortgage process when I went through it over 20 years ago. It was, you know, you had to have good credit. You gave your pay stubs, your W-2s and those sorts of things to a bank. And then they gave you a mortgage. And that's how I initially got my first mortgage. And the thought was that you would go to several banks to get um, mortgages from each of them to figure out what the best deal was. Then later on, after I did, I purchased my house, I found out what a mortgage broker was. And a mortgage broker, similar to a stockbroker, is, you know, they can utilize various lenders. And so when you go to a mortgage broker, it's almost like one-stop shopping. You give them your information and they will generally take it to, you know, three or more 
lenders who may not be traditional banks to see if you if they would qualify you for a mortgage. So you can go when shopping for a mortgage, you can go to several banks, which would be considered a traditional lender, or you can go to a mortgage broker who you would give them your information once and then they would shop it around to several lenders. So you may sit there and say like, well, why would, you know, what's the benefit of one versus the other? Yes, you could go to a mortgage broker and there's a convenience that goes there, but you also need to find out how is your mortgage broker being paid? Mortgage brokers can be paid in several ways. You just want to be clear as to how your mortgage broker is paid. They can be paid in points on your mortgage. So a point is 1% of you know your total mortgage amount or borrowed amount. And so... Um, it's nothing to sneeze at when you're thinking about, you know, they're getting, sometimes they get paid um, on the back end, meaning everything is, you know, is complete. And then they're getting a percentage of the mortgage fees being charged to you um, in your closing process or um, and the fees that are attached to your loan. So you really just need to understand and don't be afraid to ask because it may impact how you, you know, the mortgage product that you decide on going and it may, you know, you may not be comfortable with it. So you definitely want to ask that question. So your mortgage broker could get paid with points, as I said, either at your closing or it can be added onto your interest rate or both. And so you just need to ask, hey, how are you getting paid when dealing with a mortgage broker? When you're going to a lender, you'll see lender's fees on a statement at the closing. And so you, you know, should ask about those fees as well. And I mentioned that, you know, you have to, they'll pull your credit. And when you're shopping for a mortgage, that is a hard pull on your credit. Um, you know, sometimes there's soft pulls that you may not even know about. And then there's an actual hard pull. But when shopping for a mortgage, you have 30 days to shop. And in not just 30 days, but if you shop within with several lenders and including a broker within 30 days, it's only hits your credit as one hard pull versus if you exceed that 30 day window, the next pull that you do or the next lender that you go to after the 30 days, it would be considered another hard pull. So you would have, if let's say you started looking for a mortgage on June 1st, and you went to four different lenders before June 30th, that be, would be one pull. But if on July 1st, you went to yet another lender, you will have had a hard pull in June and then a hard pull in July. And it doesn't follow the hard month. So if you started June 15th and then 30 days later, which is about July 15th, that would count with is in the 30 day period. So you want to be aware of that and there's nothing wrong. 
How many lenders should you shop at? Three minimally is always a good number. And therefore, it will give you diversity as to far as, you know, what mortgage packages are being offered to you. So you definitely want to shop around, whether it be through a mortgage lender or through a mortgage broker, you want to get more than one quote for a mortgage. Then when you look at the mortgage itself, you want to know how do you compare your mortgage, the mortgage offer. So you want to look at seven several factors when comparing your mortgage. You want to look at the principal, the amount of money that you're going to borrow, the interest that you would pay on that loan, the taxes, um, and the homeowner's insurance. And some, um, some mortgage companies require that you add certain riders on to your homeowner's insurance. So you definitely want to know like what am, what coverages am I required to have in order to get a mortgage from this bank. So when I initially purchased my house, I had to get a hurricane a hurricane rider and a hail rider. That was something that my mortgage company that I I eventually went with required. The other mortgage companies that I had did not require one did so one required the um hurricane but neither of the other required the hail uh rider. So it you may say like homeowners insurance I haven't purchased the house yet but most uh, insurance, most mortgage companies require that you have homeowners insurance. And if they have additional riders, you want to know that because that may impact your homeowners insurance and therefore impact the overall cost of the mortgage, depending on the lender that you choose. So you want to know all of those. And similar to when I spoke about shopping for homeowners insurance, you also want to kind of create a table so that you're able to compare apples to apples and oranges to orange when looking at your, when comparing the mortgage offers that you get. So again, you want to look at, it's all like You'll hear people say P-I-T-I, which is principal, interest, taxes, um, and homeowners insurance. Then you want to look at PMI. So depending on your lender and what your financial picture looks like, you may have to pay private mortgage insurance, which is referred to as PMI. And so some like... I know people who have FHA loans who have PMI for the life of their loan. Um, I've had an FHA loan in the past and my PMI only lasted for the first five years. Other lenders or traditional lenders, if you do have to have PMI, 
it doesn't stay in place. Um, it stays in place, excuse me, until you have 20% equity in the home. So you want to be clear on the terms of the PMI and that would also factor into what is the best deal for you when looking at the different mortgage packages that either you're finding individually by going to various um, lenders or your mortgage broker will you know say this is what it looks like and it's so that you clearly understand what you're responsible for paying what the total cost of the mortgage is creating that little table for yourself will be really helpful when shopping for your mortgage so in preparing to shop for your mortgage you want to be aware of the different types of mortgages that are also available to you. So you have a conventional loan and conventional loans follow the re the regulations set by Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And so they require a at least a 3% um, down payment and they have stricter financial requirements than other types. Um, so at the minimum for a conventional loan, you need a 620 credit score. Then you have FHA loans, and these loans are um, were designed to alleviate the risk in lending for borrowers with less income. And so you often hear people say that they want a FHA loan um, because you generally only have to put down three and a half percent and it offers uh, better insurance for your lender um, and allows people who may be considered more riskier borrowers and can't qualify for a conventional loan the opportunity to qualify for a, a loan um, and a mortgage to, to you know to own a house. Then you have a VA loan. This is available for um, active duty military members, veterans, um, and eligible surviving spouses of uh, military personnel. And so uh, if you are a military service member or were a military service member or spouse, that is elig you're eligible for a VA loan and they are are great loans um, if you qualify one for one. And then you have USDA loans. And so yes, United States Department of Agriculture um, provides low to moderate income families in rural communities. So in order to qualify for a US you're looking to purchase land, purchase a home, excuse me, in a rural area, and you have uh, no to low interest, um, you know, no down, no down payment, excuse me, not no, uh, so no down payment and low interest rates. Um, and so if you are purchasing a house in an eligible area, a USDA loan may be something that you want to look into. 
So those are the type of loans. And those are the traditional ones. There's definitely things like hard money lenders and those type of things. Um, if you want to go the nine traditional route, but in this case, we're just talking about shopping for a traditional mortgage. So in preparing to get one of these loans, you want to think about what do you need to gather? So in preparing to get a loan, you want to look at your bank statements, pay stub, ID, such as your driver's license or passport, two of your um, your last two W-2 forms. So your, if you were applying for one this year in 2023, you would be looking at your 2022 and 2021 W-2 forms. If you have any investment accounts, um, you want to give statements of those. Uh, if you have any debt, you want to have those statements as well. So those would be your auto loan, your student loan, um, and, you know, your credit card statements would, you know, show on your credit reports as to whether you're paying it in full. If you're getting a gift from anyone, so whether it be friends or family, um, you also want to have a letter stating that, you know, from the person who gave you the gift that, you know, they were giving you a gift to uh, help you purchase your home. So you gather all of those documents and that's how you prepare to get a lender. Now, if you gather all those documents, now they offer you because you need those documents also to get underwritten once you choose the lender that you're going to use but now they're offering underwritten pre-approvals which i had never heard of before so as i was applying for this pre-approval my mortgage broker said to me i think that you know you're a great candidate to get a underwritten pre-approval and she asked me to submit all of those documents that I just read to you and what that basically does is in the pre-approval process they send it off to an underwriter to substantiate that not only do am I pre-approved for this amount um, but I have also completed or have gone through the underwriting process and the bank is guaranteeing me that they would give me a mortgage for that amount, which is different from a regular pre-approval, which is a just a soft pull. Um, and they say, oh, based on, you know, your income and your credit score, you could get approved for, you know, you look it's highly likely that you could be approved for a um, a mortgage worth this much money. But the bank won't just, you know, give me over that amount based on a soft pull. They want the actual documents. And so those are the documents that I read off earlier. You know, the pay stubs, the W-2s, the debt, the letter, if you're getting a gift, your state, you know, your investment statements, all of those things. So when getting 
a pre an underwritten a pre-approval underwritten that means you're going through that whole process and the bank is doing a much deeper dive and trying to establish whether they're going to give you a loan for that amount now why is the pre you know the underwritten pre-approval better and so important well in this market where people are going are having bidding wars and paying more a seller wants to generally like they want to sell their house as soon as possible and going through the underwriting writing process takes a lot of time so if you as a buyer go through that process as soon as possible there are several pros that go to having a um, fully underwritten pre-approval and so that is you can close a lot faster. You've already gone through the underwritten, underwriting process. And so the bank already knows what they're getting. No problem. You can close faster. You can waive contingencies to com- you know, compete with an all-out cash buyer. So it's basically the bank is saying, we are going to give this mortgage to you. You just basically have to find the house. So an all cash buyer can say to you, like, can say, well, I have all cash. And so you should go with me. But if someone presents to the the seller, I am underwritten pre-approved, you're on par with a all cash buyer. So it makes you much more attractive and much more competitive. And then you may be able to achieve a better price if let's say the house is, um, if you're going for a short sale or because it's almost considered the same as an all cash buyer, you may be able to go in and say, okay, this is what I'm going to offer. And it's as almost as good as cash. And so you might be able to negotiate a lower fee. I mean, a lower cost on the house because it's seen as all cash. And then you can participate in later rounds of a bidding war. So let's say you and in, in this pre this underwritten pre-approval process, you want to get underwritten for as much as you can borrow. It doesn't mean you have to buy a house. So if I were to qualify, let's say for $500,000 in a underwritten pre-approval you you all may be sitting there saying like that's not a lot in today's market it isn't but the next house or property that I buy isn't going to be like some lavish I just want this little house on the lake so let's say I could get pre-approved underwritten pre-approved for five hundred thousand dollars then I want to get underwritten pre-approved but I may be looking at houses that only cost 150 uh $250,000. Well, if I'm pre-approved for $500,000 and then I get into a bidding war with someone and that means I know that I'm good up until $500,000 and then so it's like it gives me some wiggle room and where non-underwritten pre-approval 
they don't know what their exact limit is. So then they have to go back and, and figure it out. It just cuts out a lot of the additional red tape to get a fully underwritten pre-approval. So what is the biggest takeaway when shopping for a mortgage? Gather your documents so that you can submit them and start the process. That's the highest leverage step. I will put the list of all of the documents that you would need in the show notes. So you want to gather all those documents and then either go to various lenders within a 30-day window or go to a mortgage broker, but be really clear on how your mortgage broker is getting paid so that when you create your little table to compare what is the best mortgage for you to utilize, therefore the best lender for you to go with, you are comparing apples to apples and you're clear what the mortgage will cost you uh, at the end of the deal. So thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope that it's very helpful to you. And if you see yourself purchasing a home in the next six months or so, you definitely want to start this process so that you don't end up in a situation where you find the house and then you're running around like a chicken without a head trying to figure out the lender situation. It's definitely better to start your mortgage shopping process sooner rather than later. So remember, stay in the black. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week at Staying in the Black. Subscribe to make sure you never miss a show and visit our website at stayingintheblk.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at stayingintheblk. If you like the show, please tell a friend and leave a review in iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thank you for listening. See you next week when...